Welcome to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy D. Young Jr. And along with my brother Rick, we examine current events in the light of God's prophetic word. And Rick, I've got to tell you, uh, first of all, I just returned from New Hampshire where we had a great conference. I'd say great, not because of the teacher. I did teach the book of Joel. That is a great book. It introduces the day of the Lord, but it was great because there were so many people that came up and said that they listen to us, enjoy the program, and they follow us, and they pray for us all the time. What a great uh, time we had at our conference. That's an exciting report, and what's so great about it is the heart of prophecy today has always been teaching Bible prophecy, teaching theology, teaching it in the correct way, and not just because it's interesting or not because we like that kind of thing, but it's because we want to see what God's Word has to say. It gives us promises, and we have when we get those promises, it encourages us to live correctly. Yes, and uh, you know, so many people love the Legacy Series, so many people love the, the interaction and the program, and we do have a great program again today. We are focusing on prophetic events and God's Word. The prophecy for these events takes place after the rapture of the church, and that's why we focus on them, because they help us to uh, really to make clear to us how close that we are to that event of the rapture. Well, let's get started, Rick. Ken Timmerman's with us today, as always. Uh, I'm excited to hear what he has to say. Ken Timmerman joins us. He's our expert in geopolitical affairs, and he joins us every week. Ken, where do we find you this week? Rick, it's good to be with you. I'm up in uh, Washington, D.C. for a bunch of political meetings here and uh, uh, looking at the disaster, which is our U.S. government. Well, we uh, we appreciate you taking the time out of your busy and very varied schedule. You do quite a few different things, so we appreciate you talking to our listeners. Well, let's start uh, and get at it quickly here. We'll start with the war in Ukraine, and as we've talked about in the past, it looks like the war is going badly for Russia, and I've heard some people say that we do want Russia to lose. We don't want Putin to be victorious, but we don't want them to be totally uh, annihilated because then what happens after that? Well, look, the Secretary of Defense, Lloyd Austin, has said that we want Putin to be defeated and we want him to be crushed, essentially. Uh, the Secretary has, has said that uh, our goal now in the war, and we did not have a goal like this at the beginning of the invasion of Ukraine, but the U.S. goal now, at least of this administration in this war, is to see Putin's military absolutely destroyed. That is an extremely dangerous thing to wish for, not because we want to see a revival of Russian military power, but because we do not want to see Russia pushed to take desperate steps to um, maintain its honor, to keep its uh, uh, self-esteem as a, as a world power. You do not want to humiliate Russia at the same time you're defeating them. And I think here the, the real measure is you look at what happened after World War I with the Treaty of Versailles in 1919 and the war reparations that were inflicted on Germany. That led directly 20, 20 years later to the rise of Hitler and to World War II. What you don't want to see happen with Russia is the kind of penalty, the kind of humiliation impo imposed on them that uh, they would be seeking a return match in five years, 10 years, or 20 years. So that, I think, is what the real uh, concern is right now. What's going to be the end game? Does it end with Russian humiliation, or does it end with some kind of compromise where the Ukrainians maintain their sovereignty and the Russians can retreat uh, with their head at least 
uh, not chopped off completely. I think the power vacuum that is created, uh, we have no idea who's going to take over. And let's not forget, they have quite a few nuclear weapons, don't they? Uh, well, that's right. Of course they do. They have uh, more uh, tactical nuclear weapons than we do. And look, we've mentioned on the show, I think last week or the week before, that uh, Putin seems to be uh, encountering some opposition inside the Russian ruling elites. He has jailed a number of his top uh, defense officials, a number of his top intelligence officials, people who he believes misled him about his own capabilities and about the Ukrainian capabilities at the beginning of the war. I've heard uh, people mention that uh, he ought to be engaging a food taster now uh, <laughs> for the next couple of weeks, because you never know what could happen to Vladimir Putin inside the walls of the Kremlin. We have never understood that in the best of times, and we certainly don't understand what goes on there today. Well, we'll move from Russia and that situation and to a subject that relates, certainly, and that is Finland and Sweden joining NATO. And that is a story all on its own. But uh, what's even more interesting now is that Turkey seems to be dead set on, on not allowing those two nations to join NATO. That's right. And remember, NATO is a consensus organization. So if one of the member states opposes the ascension of a new member, uh, whether it be Sweden or Finland or both, that blocks it. That effectively blocks it. So well, Turkey has to at least not say no. And right now, Erdogan is saying no. Erdogan is saying, I don't like Sweden or Finland because they are providing aid to my Kurdish enemies. And until they cease that type of aid, uh, I will block their entry into the EU. Now, it's true that Sweden in particular has allowed a number of Kurdish refugees to come to Sweden. They've given them refugee status, but they're not providing active aid to the PKK, for example, uh, which is what Erdogan always alleges. They acknowledge the PKK as, by the way, the entire European Union has acknowledged them as engaged in a civil conflict, an interior struggle inside the state of Turkey. They are uh, not a terrorist group any longer, according to the EU. They are a group in a state of civil strife with the government of Turkey. Very, very different. Erdogan obviously disagrees with that. So we're going to have a big disagreement at NATO over the ascension of Sweden and Finland. Well, and Ken, there may be two schools of thought there. So that's what Erdogan is saying. He's saying that he's unhappy about the fact that they are providing, I guess, quote unquote, aid to these uh, Kurdish groups. But on the other side, maybe they could be acting as a secret agent for Russia and, and trying to get on Russia's good side, because we know that Russia doesn't want these two nations joining NATO. Well, that's right. And, and they would bring another uh, 800 miles of common border with Russia and NATO were they to join uh, the uh, NATO alliance. And, and Sweden has quite an air force. You know, my, my wife is Swedish. We spend uh, a lot of times in the summer every year in Sweden, and they regularly conduct exercises with their fighter aircraft where they're landing on country roads uh, in the event that their, their airfields get blown out uh, by the Soviet Union. This was even during the Cold War. So the Swedish, uh, the Swedish military is, is not inconsequential, at least their air force. Their Navy isn't much, but their air force is serious. And the Russians definitely do not want them inside NATO. Erdogan has taken a number of steps in favor of Putin uh, over the past couple of years and in the past couple of weeks, both. Uh, remember, he was willing to swap uh, the F-35 fighter jet. He was going to be a partner with us in the F-35 and said, he said, no, 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 I'll take these S-300 
400 air defense missiles from Russia instead, knowing that it will close me out from the F-35 program. So he was willing to side with Russia against us. In 2008, during the invasion of Georgia, the Republic of Georgia by Russia, he closed the Strait of Dardanelles uh, at Istanbul. So NATO warships could not go through into the Black Sea to support Republic of Georgia. So he's taken a number of uh, steps historically in favor of Russia. And recently, he has refused to in, impose any kind of economic sanctions on Russia. So you've seen a lot of these uh, oligarchs who can't get their assets. They cannot park their assets in any other European country. Well, they can come to Turkey and they'll be just fine. Very interesting. We'll have to keep an eye on that relationship with Turkey, NATO, and Russia. Well, let's move to the Middle East a little bit. and Let's talk about Iran. And I know there have been quite a few protests taking place all across Iran, protesting against the political and economic situation there. So, so these protests began as uh, economic protests. There are teachers and bus drivers in particular who were talking about inflation, about price increases, about their salaries not going up to meet it. But very quickly, they turned into political protests where you had people in streets in, in by the way, all kinds of small and mid-sized towns in the provinces, not in Tehran chanting death to the dictator, death to Khamenei, right, the supreme leader. So these are political protests. The regime this time has uh, kind of been very proactive in their response. They started shooting early. Uh, remember 2019, it took them a little while to start shooting. Ultimately, they killed around 1,500 people during the 2019 round of protests. This time, they, what they did is they first cut off the Internet, so then they could shoot in the dark. So right now, we don't know how many people they've killed. The Internet has been pretty much cut off. I am still getting videos from people inside Iran that show the protest, but, you know, 15 minute, 15 second snippets, 35 second snippets. They get them out through proxies and through other countries. Uh, so the Internet is not cut off completely, but it's very difficult for Iranians to contact the outside world. And it's only the most technologically savvy uh, who, who are able to do that. By the way, this is a great opportunity for Elon Musk, who uh, provided, uh, remember, his Starlink uh, internet mm. uh, service, his uh, space-based internet service to Ukraine. Boy, it would be great if he, could, if he could supply it to the Iranians as well. Well, that certainly would be an excellent use of that service. Well, continuing in Iran, with Russia not being able to sell their oil in some places around the world, they have been selling more to China. And that's also who Iran is selling their oil to. So China is getting discounts from both countries. It's a kind of an interesting dynamic. And you always tell us, Ken, follow the money. Yeah, the, well, the Chinese are making out like bandits. This is a supreme irony. They are pitting the Russians against the Iranians to sell them oil at the, at the steepest discount. So, so the Chinese are telling the Iranians, well, look, the Russians are giving us a $15 per barrel discount. Uh, you know, that's much better than what you're offering. So now the Iranians actually have 20 oil tankers parked off the coast of Singapore that they hmm. thought were going to go to China, but the Chinese haven't bought them. So the Russians are stealing their um, oil markets. They're eating their lunch in China. It's absolutely uh, delicious to watch this happen. Well, Ken, there certainly is a lot taking place around the world, and we're lucky to have you with us to explain what's going on, the ins and outs, so many different moving parts. We appreciate what you do, Ken, and we look forward to having you on again very soon. Thank you. Always my pleasure, uh, Rick. Thanks so much. Thanks for us. Well, we got to take a break, and when we come back, Middle East News Update with David Dolan right here on Prophecy Today weekend. 
I'm Ruth Kramer with Mission Network News. With strong backing from Iran, Hezbollah operates as both a Shiite Muslim political party and a militant group in Lebanon. Forecasts leading up to the May 15 election predicted Hezbollah's current grip on power would grow. Nuna of Triumphant Mercy Lebanon says people worried their country would become another Iran. But the votes are now counted, and Hezbollah lost its majority stronghold in parliament. Pray for a spirit of unity among Lebanon's newly elected leaders. And the UNHCR predicts that upwards of 8 million Ukrainian refugees will ultimately flee their country. World Missionary Press is getting urgent requests across Europe for scripture booklets in Ukrainian and Russian to give to refugees. Helen Williams with WMP says God is moving through his church, like the missionary couple in Moldova, who've opened their home to dozens of refugees as they travel through. Find your place in these stories at missionnews.org. Mission Network News is a service of One Way Ministries. Armin's great. Every believer needs to understand Bible prophecy. Whether you're a novice or a student, we are here to help you. Just visit prophecytoday.com and click on the link for the Prophecy Bookstore. There you will find a large selection of CD sets, DVDs, and books for the Bible prophecy student written by Dr. Jimmy DeYoung and other prominent scholars. While you're there, be sure to check out Dr. DeYoung's latest series called Presidents, Politics, and Prophecy. This series examines how God has used human leaders in general and specifically the last seven U.S. presidents to set the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. This was shot on location in Washington, D.C. and is available on DVD or as a 10-hour audio series on CD. Be sure to check back often for special deals. You can visit prophecytoday.com and click on bookstore or you can go directly to prophecybookstore.com. And we're back here on Prophecy Today Radio, the program that looks at current events in the light of Bible prophecy. This is the segment of our program where we have our Middle East news update. And to do that, we have journalist and author and regular guest on our program, Dave Dolan. Dave, thank you for joining us today. You know, I'm always happy to do it, Rick, and to talk to your audience. Well, Dave, I think the first place for us to start is the news coming out of the Israeli government right now. And we have talked over the last few weeks how there has been a shaky coalition for the current prime minister and the current government in power. And and there's been some updates this week. Can you talk to our listeners about that? Yeah, Rick, as of Thursday, the coalition was uh, down to 59 supporters out of the 120 member Knesset. So that's two seats short of having a majority, which they did have until a member of the prime minister's uh, right-wing Yamina party, a female member, quit the coalition several weeks ago. And then on Thursday, another female member of the coalition, uh, Gaida Zawabi, she's a member of the Merit's left-wing party, She quit the government, uh, saying as an Arab, she could no longer support the government. It had moved more to the right, more Zionistic, and uh, the approval of new settlements. She cited several issues that bothered her. So she's officially out, and the four-member Ra'am party, the Arab party that's connected to the Islamic movement, is sitting out participation in the government. They're supposedly one of the eight parties in it, but they have frozen their participation. So it now looks very, very likely that new elections are coming to Israel. Former Prime Minister Netanyahu put forward a no-confidence motion on Monday, 
and it was defeated, barely defeated, but it was only because the Arab parties called the Joint List, that's three different parties in an Arab coalition that are not a member of the government, they refused to back uh, Netanyahu's resolution because, of course, they hate him. So the situation is a mess. It looks like new elections and the opinion polls are already showing that Netanyahu will probably return as prime minister. He'll pick up six to eight seats. The opinion polls show uh, the coalition members will shrink down to about 53 seats. The prime minister's Yamina party in particular, a lot of his right wing settler um, supporters are very angry at the left-wing elements in the government. So they say they're not going to vote again for his party. So it's a mess, but it looks like we are heading to a fifth election in just three years. Well, Dave, I know that President Biden had planned a trip to the Middle East and to Israel in particular. Is that in jeopardy now? It is. Uh, the uh, State Department won't officially comment on it uh, or the White House, but the pundits are saying that certainly he won't come in the midst of an election. Uh, he was supposed to head to Israel after the G7 summit meeting in Europe in mid-June. And uh, his uh, potential visit was already controversial because the White House announced that he intended to visit without Israeli accompaniment an Arab hospital up on the Mount of Olives in East Jerusalem. I've been to that hospital several times, not as a patient, but uh, just to do some interviews there. And he was going to go up there without any Israeli accompaniment. The Israeli government was not very happy about that. And uh, it was expected that there would be uh, extra trouble, extra violence, extra protests, all that sort of thing. And this comes amidst a high tension in the region, as we've been talking about. The Israelis are continuing their three-week uh, military exercise. Rick, it's the largest in Israel's history, called Chariots of Fire. And an Israeli TV station, speaking of America, announced on Tuesday that U.S. Air Force resupply planes, fueling, refueling planes, would actually participate in these exercises in some long-range bombing runs. They didn't say where Israel would be practicing these long-range runs, but it's obviously in preparation for a possible strike on Iran's nuclear program. And the head of the U.S. Central Command General, Michael Carrilla arrived in the country on Tuesday to uh, view these exercises, at least for a few days. He met with senior military and political leaders. So this is the background of the of the Biden visit that Israel is really expecting a war. And we had uh, statements from Hamas this week that they were planning to um, to break through the Gaza blockade, the blockade that Israel and Egypt have imposed on the Gaza Strip in the next few weeks. Uh, they've announced that they would do some uh, more anti-Israel demonstrations moving up to uh, Jerusalem Day, which is uh, May 29th, a week from tomorrow. And, uh, and that came in as and a right-wing Israeli group said that they would begin dismantling the Al-Aqsa Mosque and the Dome of the Rock Shrine up on the Temple Mount on that day. 
and that would be accompanied by a flag march through the old city. Now, that takes place every Jerusalem day, but this year the police said they wouldn't allow it to go through Damascus Gate and then on to uh, the Temple Mount area. They would only let them go in through Jaffa Gate, and that's what happened last year during the war, uh, the three-week war with the 11-day war with uh, Hamas. It seemed like three weeks. Uh, so a lot of tension, and it really looks like Biden will probably be staying away. Uh, but the U.S. military forces, on the other hand, looks like maybe getting more involved in what could be a brewing war here. Well, focusing on Israel now and the security in Israel, I heard a story this week that the IDF predicted that extreme violence will take place in Israeli Arab cities if there is a future war. Well, that's right, Rick. And as part of the three-week chariots of fire, um, largest ever military uh, drill, they are also doing drills in these mixed Arab Jewish cities. And uh, the army announced that they were doing this, and they said the goal is to get ahead of any riots. Of course, last year during the May War, we had intense clashes in about 25, 30 Uh, different locations throughout Israel, including in Jaffa, South Tel Aviv, in Jerusalem, uh, all around the old city and in the north and Haifa, et cetera. So they're trying to avoid that happening again if there is a major war. But there's only so much you can do in advance, of course, to prevent that. But they're trying to lay out plans and programs and procedures that they can get a handle on any trouble before it really gets going. That's the goal. We'll see if that works. But um, uh, again, they're all they've been saying the Israeli military and political leaders have been warning people for some years that the next major war will be in all the cities and towns of Israel. There'll be rockets coming into all areas, and there'll be this ground violence pretty much everywhere. So, um, you know, it looks like Iran is behind all of this, and they're going for broke. They really do want to see Israel destroyed. And we also had reports this week that Iran has provided some cruise missiles to the Hezbollah militia in South Lebanon that can carry nuclear warheads. They're capable of carrying nuclear warheads. And this came, as the Israeli defense minister said again, that Iran is just weeks away from having enough uranium to uh, complete a nuclear bomb. And they believe they may have one that's nearly ready to go, more than one even. So again, tension's very high, but uh, the cities and towns of Israel are definitely part of the game now. And, um, you know, the government's just trying to get a handle ahead of things and to wage any war they have to in the best way that they can. Well, as we look at Israeli-Palestinian ties in a certain sense becoming weaker, uh, there are still those that hold on to the fact that a two-state solution is a viable possibility. And they say that there's uh, moderate Palestinians and pragmatic Israeli Arabs that will make this uh, outcome possible. What are your thoughts on that? What are your thoughts on the two-state solution? A majority of Israelis would go for it, the polls show, Rick, if they felt it would be a peaceful state, any Palestinian state next to them, uh, if it would stop its jihad war. But as we've discussed in previous weeks, the opinion polls on the Arab side, on the Palestinian side, show overwhelming support 
now for the Hamas movement over the Palestinian Authority and the Fatah party, the more traditional Arab parties. Hamas would win about 70% of the vote uh, the polls show if elections were ever held, which they may never be. Uh, But that shows where the Palestinian street is. And what is Hamas? A group that wants Israel totally destroyed. So they don't want a two-state solution. They want a one-state solution, it being an Arab state only to replace Israel. And that's the position that a majority of Palestinians hold. That being the case, how can possibly peace talks get going or go anywhere? It just And again, two, two accords have already been signed with the Palestinians, Oslo 1 and 2 in 93 and 95, and they fell apart in the year 2000. And uh, it's just very unlikely that can ever be put back together. Whatever the politicians want, whatever the U.S. and Europe wants, that's the reality on the ground. Well, David, there are so many things taking place in Israel right now. We are grateful to have you as our reporter on Israel, and we appreciate you doing this. We look forward to talking to you again soon. Glad to do it, Rick. God bless. Well, we're going to take a break right now on Prophecy Today Radio, but when we return, we will have more guests, including Dr. Don DeYoung. You won't want to miss that. Stay tuned right here on Prophecy Today Radio. The book of Revelation is God's final word to man and the timeline of the last days revealed to the Christians. This symbolism-filled example of apocalyptic literature can be difficult to understand, especially when simply reading it from beginning to end. Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest book, Revelation, A Chronology, takes a walk through the prophetic book of Revelation in the order that the events will take place, chronologically, sharing insights into its true meaning and doing so in an easy-to-understand and practical way. If you have difficulty understanding the book of Revelation, get your copy of Revelation, A Chronology, and let Dr. Jimmy DeYoung aid you in your understanding of this profound end-times prophecy book that God has preserved in His Scriptures for Christians in the last days. To order your copy of Jimmy D. Young's Revelation, a chronology, call us toll-free at 877-674-3298 or visit our website at prophecytoday.com. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy D. Young Jr. And along with my brother Rick, we examine current events in the light of God's prophetic word. Last week, I talked about our focus, and our focus is Bible prophecy, how we focus on the future. Years ago, my father developed the trio of triplets, the three strands of the human family, Gentiles, Jews, and Christians, the three main prophetic books of the Bible, Daniel for the Gentiles, Ezekiel for the Jews, and Revelation for Christians. And then, of course, the three remaining Uh, Big events on God's timeline is calendar, the rapture, the second coming of Christ, which are two different distinct events, and then the great white throne judgment. And everything else fits in 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 Bible prophecy in the future and between the rapture and eternity. So today on our program, I wanted to get my good friend, Professor Tom Meyer, who's uh, actually, he's driving his way across the country. Tom, welcome to the program today. Greetings, everyone. (laughs) You are, well, tell us, first of all, you're heading from Oregon to Kentucky to work at the Ark, but you're going across country. And so tell us a little bit about what's happening. Well, we left Monday and we are almost home at Kentucky, right by the Creation Museum and the Ark Encounter. 
So we're in Champaign, Illinois, and uh, Saturday we'll be speaking in Kokomo, Indiana, at Bible Baptist Church, giving a conference on the archaeology of Jerusalem. And then we'll be at the same church in Kokomo on Sunday reciting Creation of the Flood, Genesis 1 through 9 from memory. Wow. Fantastic, brother. Well, folks, if you're in Kokomo, Indiana, or around that area, look up the, what was the name of the church again? Bible Baptist Church. Bible Baptist Church in Kokomo, Indiana. Look up. Tom will be there Sunday morning. And then if you go to the ark, uh, Tom will be out there. And if you happen to visit that great, phenomenal museum of uh, creation and the story of the days of Noah, Noah before the flood, Noah during the flood, Noah after the flood, that's a great place. You'll have to look Tom Meyer up and tell him. Uh, and, and Tom, people will look you up. Uh, I was just in New Hampshire this last weekend and they definitely, uh, we have a lot of the listeners up in the New England area that came by to listen. Well, Tom, I wanted to have you on today because, uh, you have as, uh, any good teacher, professor, uh, student of the word, teacher of the word, pastor, uh, you have a way of teaching and looking, and specifically you do because you memorize scripture, but you have a way of looking at that prophetic book of the book of Revelation. Tell us how, in the best way and a, and a good way for us to read it, study it, and memorize it. Well, you know, Jimmy, one of the blessings of memorizing scripture, as you know, is you can meditate on it day and night. Mm-hmm. And when you have the whole book of Revelation memorized, you can really kind of think your way through the book in a extraordinary way, right? Right. Because it's hidden in your heart, and you can think upon it and chew upon it and kind of examine it, maybe a little more, what's the word I'm looking for, maybe intently. And so I, along with others, have come up with an idea, and that is, is number one, remember that the chapter divisions, they first come into the Bible in about the Crusader period, Jimmy, 1260 mm. A.D., and it's, it's not like, in God spake all these words, saying, chapter <laughs> 20, you know? Yeah, in a chapter, like, <laughs> right? Right, because we know from the Dead Sea Scrolls, right, the Dead Sea Scrolls have no chapter breaks in them, as you know. Mm. And then even before the Dead Sea Scrolls were found, 75 years ago, the, the oldest texts before that are complete Hebrew texts, the Aleppo Codex from 950 A.D., Jimmy, that also has no chapter divisions. So chapter divisions first pop up about, like I said, 1260, the Crusader period, and then to even break it down more, verses first come in about 1550. Try this one. A Protestant printer from Paris. (laughs) A Protestant printer (laughs) from Paris. (laughs) Named Robertus Stephanus is the one who uh, apparently invented verse divisions. Mm. So when John wrote the revelation of Jesus Christ, that wasn't in his thinking, the chapter and verse divisions. What I think what was in his thinking is the following, is number one, he crafted the book of Revelation like a play, Jimmy. Let me explain. Chapter one is like the introduction, okay? It gives you the main setting, it gives you the main characters, chapter one. And then chapters two and three is called rising action, and that would kind of speed up the momentum of the film and get you ready for the, the, the heart of, of the, the play or the story. And then the rest of the book, Jimmy, chapters four through 22, Chapters 4 through 22 are actually seven acts, okay? Mm. And then within each act, there are two scenes. Now, if we keep the chapter and verse divisions out of our mind's eye and look at it through that way, and by the way, I have it all spelled out in our, our Revelation commentary, which is in the store on our website, but it's kind of neat. Whatever happens in, in the first scene of each act, 
it's always in heaven, number one. And number two, whatever they say, it happens on earth in scene two. So, for example, act one, scene one is, and I saw on the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with an inside it on the back, sealed with seven seals. Remember that? Mm-hmm. How the lamb goes and takes and opens the seals on the scroll. Mm-hmm. And then what happens then in act one, scene two, that would be on earth. Scene one's always in heaven. Scene two's always on earth. What happens in scene two? The seven seals are opened. So it's very interesting to look at it through that lens instead of the traditional chapter and verse break. And what else is really cool is when you look at it that way, I'm pretty sure that there aren't, you know how, Jimmy, we have the seven seals and the seven bowls and the the seven trumpets and the seven bowls in that order? Yes. I don't think that those are 21 judgments, seven times three. I really think there's seven judgments, but seeing, like, we're watching a baseball game. Like, I'm behind home play and you're in left field. And Rick's in right field. We're all watching the same game, right? right. But we're seeing it from different perspectives. Mm. So, for example, like the seventh, the seventh trumpet, then the seventh angel sounded, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our lords and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Or it's, it's the end. And then when you get to the seventh bowl, for example, mm-hmm. then the seventh angel put out his bowl, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, It is finished. So the sub, I think if we look at it that way, it can kind of maybe get us into the mindset, maybe more along the line, not that we're off, off the scent, off the trail, that's not it. It's just maybe we're, we could even get closer to being hot on the trail of how John wanted us to view and think and read and hear the book. Well, first of all, one of the things that I like is that you make it exciting. And, you know, so many times people just say, Revelation confuses me. Uh, and they probably right. read it in the these and the thous and the chapter breaks. But if they read it like you are reciting it by memory, right. it's because you have made it a part of your life. And that's really, when you look at the, all the scripture, it should be a part of all of our life. Read it with what you think the author intended it to be read as, you know, the prophets were prophesying to the children of Israel and, and uh, you know, proclaiming judgment and when that judgment would happen and what would take place. And you do the same thing with the book of Revelation. I like that so much how you kind of, you know, you're acting it out. Scene one, act one, whatever. That's, that's, a, yep. that's a great way to look at it. This book that's uh, the first three chapters uh, talk and, and my dad used to lay it out. The first three chapters of the book of Revelation were the prelude, then the program of the tribulation, the prelude to the tribulation, the program of the tribulation from 6 to chapter 19, and then the postlude, which would be 20 to 22. So that's a, a good way. You've got a great way of laying it out. Whatever way that you do. And Tom, what's the, what's the biggest benefit that we get from really... Uh, studying scripture and making it our own. I mean, I like what you said as far as when you it's inside you, you probably sleep the book of Revelation. I mean, that's how much it's inside of you. What's the benefit that we get as Christians from memorizing and studying and making it our own? Well, especially with Revelation, as everybody knows, in chapter 1, verse 3, we have the only direct promise mm. that if you hear this book and if you study this book, and you keep this book, you'll be blessed. And I believe that, and so do you. Yes, yeah, well, that's uh, great. Hey, so you said that you have a uh, a guide, a study guide, uh, and where can we go to get that? 
you can visit thebiblememoryman.com, and it's in the store. And it's in the store. You also, as your is the book, uh, the Bible that is there that you added uh, your instruction on how to memorize and and, the, and memorization is that also in the store. Yeah, the memorization study Bible is also there. Okay, BibleMemoryMan.com. Thank you, Jimmy. Hey, Tom. Hey, we'll be praying for you folks. Pray for Tom and his family. Uh, give us a, your wife's name and your kid's name. Sarah is my wife, and I have four kids under 10. In order, they are Hosanna, Scarlett, Abigail, and Tommy. We got the boy, Jimmy. Uh, <laughs> Tommy Jr.? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Excellent. Well, folks, please pray for Tom and Sarah, Abigail, Scarlett, uh, Tom Jr., and then... I missed one. Hosanna. Hosanna to the highest. All right. (laughs) We'll keep you all in prayer. Thank you, Tom. Lord bless you. Lord bless y'all. And folks, look them up when you go to visit the ark. And uh, if you happen to be in a place nearby, go to visit Tom as he teaches and recites from memory portions of scripture at churches near you. Thanks, Tom. Lord bless. Thank you. Well, as I said on the program today, I have just returned from a great conference up in Franklin, New Hampshire, Hope Community Chapel, a lot of friends from listening to the radio program from those stations, radio stations around there. I know that we have several that carry us and people came in. And you know, the topic of the book of Joel is the introduction for the day of the Lord and that time period that will take place in the future. Anytime when God intercedes with the affairs of man on earth, uh, Joel gives a a typology, a prophetic typology of how that's going to take place. And he also talked about what will take place during that time period of the day of the Lord is that we will see heavenly, really kind of heavenly phenomenons that are going to take place in the heavens. And uh, people would come to me at the conference and they would say, you know, this last weekend we're having the red blood moons and we're, they just found this huge, super massive black hole in the center of our galaxy. How come Dr. Don DeYoung has not been on? Well, today you get your wish. Dr. Don DeYoung, welcome to the program. Thank you, Jimmy. Glad to join you. Oh, man. Uh, And I know that you're out doing conferences now. You're uh, really, things are picking back up. We're hoping that churches are getting back to uh, inviting visiting lecturers, uh, professors, doctors, teachers, uh, prophecy teachers into their churches. And I know that you're doing that. Do you have any upcoming that we could talk about? Well, there is continuing interest in the the Bible and science and uh, much that we're all learning so, uh, yeah, there are a number of uh, venues just opening up for uh, this summer and fall. That's good. And uh, people can go to your website because I know folks would love to, uh, within our listening uh, area uh, around the United States, and we're in so many different cities, people would love to be able to attend and uh, attend one of your conferences. So they could go to your website, correct? Well, that would be uh, correct, Jimmy. Uh, my website is Discovery of Design and then the numerical 2. Yes, and there are books there. Uh, I know one of my father's favorite books about the stars of the galaxies, and uh, just he was a star watcher. He loved to uh, go out and look through his telescope at night and just see the wonders of the heavens. Well, let's talk about this, the wonders of the heavens and the phenomenons. And, of course, we I opened up about talking, uh, uh, speaking and teaching on the book of Joel and the phenomenon in the heavens at that time of the day of the Lord. 
So a lot of times uh, people talk about lunar eclipses and the blood red moons. Is that something that we are looking at now? First of all, explain to us what, uh, for those of us, and I, uh, I'll, I'll plead ignorant today as to what a blood red moon is. Well, certainly, Jimmy. <clears throat> of course, uh, the moon is our nearest neighbor in space, circles the uh, Earth once a month, and occasionally it passes through the Earth's shadow. Mm. Uh, this happens when there's a full moon, and uh, when this does occur, it's not that the moon gets uh, covered up and disappears completely, but light coming around the edges of the Earth kind of give the moon a, a, a reddish-orange glow. This is a lunar eclipse. They're really not all that unusual. It happens once or twice a year. And uh, when the moon gets in the Earth's shadow, uh, it lasts for uh, an hour or two. Uh, and then you get this idea that since it turns reddish, some people have called it a blood moon. Uh, but really, it's not all that unusual. It's very predictable. It just kind of shows that all this uh, movement in the heavens uh, follows exactly the laws that God put in place. Yes. You know, in, in, in Q&A sessions in our prophecy conferences, I'm sure you face this quite often, uh, asking about this. A lot of people want to know, um, in Joel chapter 2 and then in Revelation chapter 9, the blood red moon or the blood moon or as the description as it's given to us, the phenomenon in the heavens, will it be what we are seeing as the lunar or will this be something totally different? Well, certainly uh, interesting things happen to the sun, moon, and stars in the end times. But I think the big difference, uh, Jimmy, uh, our current eclipses are so predictable. We know exactly when the next one is supposed to mm -hmm. happen, even years ahead. When it comes to the end times, that's on God's schedule. Mm. These things will not be, you know, predictable by astronomers. And that's what will be so um, really fearful to people when it looks like the heavens are changing and are out of uh, our own control and understanding. Uh, that's the big difference. Now predictable, but in God's time, it'll be, uh, he'll be running his own program. And he doesn't follow. I mean, he doesn't have to follow the galaxies as they orbit around each other. He could, I mean, he could make it happen himself. Well, certainly, you know, and even the, the vast distances of space, millions of light years. Oh, yes. Well, I'll just roll up like a garment. God can change things quickly. And again, I think that's what will be so um, sobering to people to see that the heavens are not on their own. They're not permanent. They're not self-generating. But um, God uh, controls them 100 percent. Yeah, and I, I would caution people, and I, I agree with you wholeheartedly, and that was my answer, and part of my answer in these Q&As is definitely uh, derived from, you know, the information that you have given to us over the years, and it uh, makes so much sense, might, makes biblical sense. And I would caution people about following people that try to attach uh, something to a blood moon, and I, I know that there are... Uh, teachers out there, prophecy teachers that are attaching uh, the seven blood moons in the last couple of years, and this was the final one. And uh, just you know, don't don't get caught up in that. Our responsibility right now is to give glory and honor to God and all that we do, and to understand that God's provision 
of a way to have a restored relationship with him is through his son, Jesus Christ. And it's our responsibility to let those people know. So I, I appreciate that. And not to be so concerned, uh, because there's no, there's nothing that needs to take place. No prophecies to happen. Uh, I believe until, uh, before the Lord, uh, uh, before the rapture is to take place. So we don't need to watch these things in the heavens. We need to be, uh, very concerned about lost and dying souls going to hell. Well, uh, another story that came up, Dr. DeYoung, is this black hole, this massive black hole, Sagittarius A. Uh, first of all, what is a black hole? Well, of course, that term has been around now for decades, mm. and uh, what we believe happens are some large stars, as they run low on fuel, they uh, collapse inward, and as, they, uh, as gravity takes over and uh, makes them implode, uh, their local gravity gets stronger and stronger, and finally even light can escape. Mm. So really a black hole, Jimmy, is a, a dead star. It's kind of the end product. The material is still there. I mean, the star is still there, but it's not giving off any more light since the light can't even escape. Mm. It's a little bit theoretical, you know, black holes by <laughs> definition invisible. But it does seem from the physics that this can happen, that it's just another part of God's um, wonders of heavens. And this is really uh, the growing old of, of stars. And so it's mainly the large one. Our sun would never do this, but some of the larger stars can collapse and uh, it, they can collect nearby material. And that apparently is what's happened in the center of most galaxies, including the Milky Way, where there does seem to be a concentration of matter, uh, uh, probably a black hole. Uh, so there could be many of these things. But again, they're still being studied. It's still a theoretical model. And uh, my goodness, in deep space, there mm. are many things that we uh, have not yet discovered, have not seen. Uh, God's variety is endless. That's uh, And when you, uh, if you ever look at the galaxies, the stars, how many stars are out there? I, it's numbers that I can't even mention. I mean, I, I can't, I, I know probably Dr. DeYoung, you can, but as far as what's out there, it is vast i mean and vast with a capital v i mean it just goes but uh now i know that some and even including my father thought that perhaps uh you know uh the black holes could contain uh probably perhaps maybe the bottomless pit was in um and one of those black holes out there i mean I, I know that as you study that and you are a creation physicist so that you understand this i mean is there any thought process in that as far as these and especially this the this i think this is the largest black hole that they found well it is i'm sure there are larger ones mm -hmm. and there are smaller ones black holes do uh comprise uh a lot of energy, but of course, uh, God has infinite energy. So I don't know if uh, black holes have a, a future in that area. Mm. Or, uh, so, um, yeah, um, they are, they are an energy source, whether there is some kind of, um, you know, prophetic meaning to the sure. interior black hole. I don't know. In fact, Jimmy, you know, even the inside of our good old planet earth is mm. a mystery. Uh, it's 4,000 miles to the center of the Earth. We've only tapped down about seven miles. 
<laughs> who knows what secrets, <laughs> what surprises God has, even inside our own planet. Yeah, wow. <laughs> that's amazing. Uh, you just blew my mind there, Dr. Diag. <laughs> that's, uh, that's, that truly is. Uh, uh, well, uh, our last topic today, and I, uh, I know that now there's international uh and there's been attention drawn to ufos and i get this question often um i do believe in ufos but not the type and i i'm I'm probably sure that you believe in ufos but in the house this last week uh, we've had uh navy pilots former navy pilots uh, testifying on uh, on capitol hill about ufo sightings uh bringing attention to this they're say they say that we haven't even scratched the tip of the uh, you know iceberg as far as the information that's there pertaining to ufos um and I know that we have talked about this in the past, and I'm I'm not trying. But so, can you just clue us in on this UFO and give us some understanding and how we as Christians, uh, first of all, is there alien life on another planet that would be messing with us or coming to this planet? And second of all, how should we as Christians respond to uh, others in a conversation about UFOs? Well, yes, Jimmy, there is of course, continuing interest in this whole area of aliens and UFOs. Apparently, you know, people just um, seek some kind of meaning to life beyond mm. themselves and uh, uh, are, are looking uh, outward. As far as aliens, uh, we do know that after a whole lifetime of this space age, there's not a shred of evidence of life anywhere else in the universe. It looks like we are very unique and special here on Earth. Now, these things are are seen. Uh, I agree with the name unidentified objects, mm. but simply not aliens, not some beings from other planets. The fact is, Jimmy, um, these things are seen, and they're photographed, and uh, videos of um, interesting um, lights, there's so much we don't know, even about the vicinity of planet Earth. When mm. it comes to meteorology, our weather system, uh, there are, I'm sure there are uh, many things that happen in clouds and in electrical phenomena that we don't have a handle on. And um, some of these objects, some of these um, happenings um, uh, look like mysteries, and then they get labeled to be, you know, aliens and, uh, and mm-hmm. that kind of thing. So they're un- unidentified, but I think so many, maybe all of these things are um, everyday mm-hmm. uh, uh, phenomena of our atmosphere that, that we, we don't know what it is. Uh, uh, we, we just don't understand it yet. Whether these things will be revealed in time, I don't know. There are examples of things like ball lightning. There are lenticular clouds. These are objects that look um, uh, uh, flying saucer-like at Mm -hmm. times. Now, of course, we also realize that, um, uh, uh, you know, Satan is a power of the air, and uh, there are demonic things happening on the spiritual level, and whether um, uh, the evil one might uh, uh, kind of... uh, cause objects like this the people that are seeking them just to kind of throw them off and confuse their minds i wouldn't put that past the devil yes you know and in the book of revelation the most used word 
uh, often used 88 times in the book of Revelation, angels. Uh, and I, I thought, I think, and I think you just confirmed it. I was going to ask you that question. Would these be angels going from one dimension to another? But I do know that we will see an increase in demonic activity as we get closer to God's final plan, beginning with the rapture and then the final timeline of the last days, uh, the day of the Lord as it unfolds. And it, could it be that we're seeing demonic influence going from one dimension to another? Is that possible? Well, yes. Isn't that interesting, Jimmy, that we know that there is this spiritual dimension uh, all around us, and uh, perhaps once in a while we catch a glimpse. Uh, perhaps uh, that interfaces with our our physical uh, universe that we're familiar with. Interesting to speculate on, and um, someday we'll know. Mm, mm. Thank you so much, Dr. Dodd-DeYoung. I've enjoyed, uh, as always, my father enjoyed talking to you. I enjoy talking to you. What we need to be focusing on and what uh, some of those things that the world, or as you said, Satan and his deceptive uh, process, trying to get people's eyes off of what they really need to be focused on. And that would be the future uh, rapture of the church and our responsibility as Christians. Uh, give your website one more time, Dr. DeYoung. Well, yes, uh, my website is Discovery of Design 2, that's the numerical 2.com. Thank you so much. Thank you, Dr. DeYoung. Brother Don, I appreciate it. I love talking to you. Okay, talk to you next time. Dr. Don DeYoung. He makes things so simple. He's a creation physicist, but he does put it in simple terms for us to understand. I like talking to him. Make sure that if you want any of his books, Weather in the Bible, In Six Days, Why 50 Scientists Choose to Believe in Creation, and Astronomy and the Bible. You go to this website, check that out, you'll get those. But we're going to take a break, and when we come back, the Legacy Series with Dr. Jimmy DeYoung, right here on Prophecy Today Weekend. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung Jr., and along with my brother Rick, we have been examining current events in the light of God's prophetic word. And Rick, you know, our website, people can send us comments and, and uh, subscribe to it. We will be sending out some PDFs, some books, some information on how to get uh, some stuff to read, to study. But uh, I do get a lot of notes from our listeners, specifically one gentleman who has been uh, listening for many years to dad and now to us. He's in prison and uh, we want to pray for him. And uh, he was talking about getting out in a few months. And let's just pray that all of this, as this goes out to so many different people, people that are listening to us really get an understanding. And uh, God communicates through what we're saying, through the teaching of God's Word to these folks. Jimmy, that's the special thing about the website. And the prophecytoday.com uh, website, it gives us a chance to engage with our listeners. It gives us a chance to talk to people, and people are getting it. People are studying Bible prophecy. People are understanding what God's Word has to say about current events in the light of Bible prophecy. Well, Rick, it's time now for our Legacy Series, and today we begin a brand new series that will answer the question about the reality of hell, and is hell's punishment eternal? 
However, before we study God's word on the subject of hell, Dr. Jimmy DeYoung will show you how Bible prophecy given and fulfilled authenticates the word of God. There are several examples that he will share. The first one is found in Genesis chapter 15 and Dr. Jimmy DeYoung, The Legacy Series. I came to know Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior in 1951. So for 60 years, I have known Jesus Christ. For 50 years, I have been a teacher, a preacher, or some type of involvement in ministry after I got saved and was a serious student of the Word of God. For 40 years now, I've been teaching Bible prophecy as a specialty. And I want you to know that the study of Bible prophecy, as far as I'm concerned, has really, for me personally, giving authenticity to the Word of God. Now, by faith, I accepted God's Word for what it said about salvation. And then after accepting the Lord through faith and the grace that He is giving, I then started really digging into the Word because I became aware of the fact in book of Romans chapter 10, verse 17, faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. So my faith has been expanded by studying the word of God. But as I study the prophetic passages, and I've studied every book of the Bible. In fact, I did a little project not too long ago where I decided to have my daily devotions from every book of the Bible, but only the prophetic passages. So I started in Genesis, went all the way to the book of Revelation. And I would study just the prophetic passage. There's a prophetic passage in every book of the Bible. All of those passages fit like a hand in a glove into the understanding of what is going to unfold. In fact, that's what I believe Second Peter chapter 1, verse 20 is talking about when it says there's no prophecy of private interpretation. But as I continue to, on a daily basis, study Bible prophecy, I study the Word of God, but in essence, I'm looking for really the prophetic aspect of it so I can uh, prepare myself to do the teaching that I believe God's called me to do. It's been amazing to me to watch. Let me give you a couple examples. Take your Bible and go to the book of Genesis just a moment. The book of Genesis and go to chapter 15. Now you might recognize Genesis chapter 15 is the Abrahamic covenant. That's the covenant that God makes with Abraham promising that there would be a nation. A nation that the Lord asked Abraham to bring into existence. It's not the Arab nations that Abraham would father, but instead he would father the Jewish people. He's called a Hebrew, chapter 14 of the book of Genesis. His grandson is called Israel. Jacob in chapter 32 has his name changed from Jacob to Israel. His great-grandson Judah is called a Jew, 2 Kings chapter 16 and verse 6. And so we see from Abraham's bowels come forth the nation of the Jewish people, God's chosen people according to Deuteronomy uh, chapter 7 verses 6 to 8. But here in this chapter, we see that the Lord gives Abraham the unconditional Abrahamic covenant upon which all of the Bible is basically based because this sets the stage for everything else to happen in what God's plan is for the Gentiles, for the Jews, and the Christians, the three members of the human family. There's a very interesting statement, though, made here in verse 13 that I want you to look at. 
In the course of giving him this unconditional covenant, God says to Abraham in verse 13, And he said unto Abram, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs, and shall serve them, and they shall afflict them four hundred years. That's the prophecy that God gave Abraham when he gave him the Abrahamic covenant. He's promising to give him a piece of real estate, ten times what they have today, make a nation that would be eternal. But at the same time, he says, you're going to be taken out. Your people will be taken out of this land I promised to you, and you will be a stranger, a foreigner in another land. And he says, for a 400-year period of time. Go to Genesis chapter 46, just a moment. You have Abraham, you have Isaac, you have Jacob, which are passing along the heritage that God had promised to Abraham. And when we come over to chapter 46 of the book of Genesis, we see uh, that Jacob now has all 12 of his sons. They start to have children and there are 70 people that would be involved in uh, Jacob's family. Look what it says here in verse six. And they took their cattle and their goods, which they had gotten in the land of Cana, and they came into Egypt, Jacob and all of his seed with him. Look here at verse 27. And the sons of Joseph, which were born in Egypt, were two sons. And all the souls of the house of Jacob, which came into Egypt, were threescore and ten. And so it is that Jacob takes his family of 70 people. They leave. They go into Egypt, which would bring them under 400 years of bondage of slavery. In the book of Exodus, God raises up Moses in the 12th chapter. We see that Moses leads the children of Israel out of that 400 years of bondage back and towards the promised land. And by the way, those that were 70 when they came in, probably 2 million when they come out. Because the text says in Exodus chapter 12, 600 men, 600,000 men plus the women and the children come out. And so we see a prophecy that was given and then fulfilled. And this starts for me to authenticate the word of God. Go to another one. Look over here, if you will, in Second Chronicles. Second Chronicles chapter 36. Second Chronicles 36 is the record of Nebuchadnezzar coming into Israel and destroying the temple, devastating the city, and taking the Jewish people out of the land. Second Chronicles chapter 36, verse 7. Nebuchadnezzar also carried the vessels of the house of the Lord to Babylon and put them in his temple at Babylon. Verse 18, and all the vessels of the house of God, great and small, and the treasures of the house of the Lord, and the treasures of the king and of his princes, all of these he brought into Babylon. And they burned the house of God, and they break down the wall of Jerusalem, and they burned all the palaces thereof with fire, and destroyed all the goodly vessels thereof. And them that had escaped from the sword carried he away into Babylon, where they were servants to him and his sons until the reign of the king of Persia. Now notice verse 21. To fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had enjoyed her Sabbaths. For as long as she lay desolate, she kept uh, Sabbath to fulfill threescore and ten years or seventy years. Keep your finger there just for a moment. We'll come back. But go over to Jeremiah chapter 25. Jeremiah chapter 25. And look with me at verse 9. Behold, I will send and take all the families of... The north, saith the Lord, and Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant, 
will bring them against this land and against the inhabitants thereof and against all these nations round about and will utterly destroy them and make them an astonishment and a hissing and a perpetual desolation. And then look at uh, verse 11. And this whole land shall be a desolation and an astonishment, and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. Now, this is a period of time before. This is, uh, you know, a time before all of these prophecies are going to happen. In fact, when Daniel, at about 85 or 90 years of age, in chapter 9 of the book of Daniel, was reading for his quiet time, Jeremiah, this is the passage of Scripture he was reading, to understand that the 70 years had been accomplished from the time he left Jerusalem and went into the Babylonian captivity until the time that he was right there. Go to chapter 29 of Jeremiah just a moment. For thus, verse 10, Jeremiah 29, 10. For thus saith the Lord, that after 70 years be accomplished at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word towards you in causing you to return to this place. And so prophecies that were given at least uh, almost 100 years before they were going to come out of Babylon itself, these prophecies were fulfilled just exactly like the Word of God said. In the book of Ezekiel, uh, chapter 5, it talks about how one-third of the people, in, the Jewish people in Israel will be killed. One-third of them will burn up in the, uh, the destruction of the temple in the city of Jerusalem. And one-third of them will be taken into the Babylonian captivity. And the record in Second uh, uh, Chronicles, chapter 36, is indicative of that. Now go back to Second Chronicles like I asked you to hold. And let me show you another very interesting prophecy. I'm just trying to give you the prophetic truth, prophecy fulfilled authenticates the word of God. I'm not talking about the prophecies yet to be fulfilled. These prophecies that I'm telling you have been fulfilled are giving us a foundation upon which to believe that every prophecy yet to be fulfilled will be fulfilled. But these are prophecies that were given and have already been fulfilled. Look at the book of Ezra. The book of Ezra. Now, Ezra is a record of the Medo-Persian Empire coming into place after they defeat the Babylonian Empire. Verse 2. Thus saith Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord God of heaven hath given me all the kingdoms of the earth. Now he was the leader of all of the world. And he hath charged me to build him a house in Jerusalem, which is Judah. Who is there among you of all his people? His God be with him and let him go unto Jerusalem, which is in Judea, and build the house of the Lord God of Israel. He is the God which is in Jerusalem. That is a record of the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy. Go back to Isaiah just for a moment. Sorry to run you all over the Bible. But I want to show you how Bible prophecy that has been given and fulfilled authenticates the word of God. Isaiah chapter 45, Isaiah 45 and verse 28. Thus saith of Cyrus, he is my shepherd and shall perform all of my pleasure, even saying to Jerusalem, thou shall be built and to the, and to the temple, thy foundation shall be laid. 150 years before the fact, Isaiah wrote down, there will be a man who will come to power who will allow the Jews to go into Jerusalem and build their temple. And in fact, if you want to be very specific, his name will be Cyrus. 
And the record is in Ezra chapter 1, Cyrus was raised up to go in and to, to go in, uh, give the Jews the privilege to go in to rebuild the temple. He selects Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel is given about 50,000 Jews, 49,897 to be exact. And they go back to Jerusalem and they build the temple over a period of time. That is key. So I can grab this book and pick it up and study it and realize it's an authentic word of God because of the prophetic truth. And I've just barely touched the hem of the garment of those prophecies that have been given in the past and fulfilled and those that are in the process of being fulfilled even as we speak. And so I take this word to be the absolute word of God. Absolute, without error, without contradiction. Absolute word of God. We can have the assurance that the Bible is God's absolute word and reveals to us everything that the Lord wants us to know. Again, I remind you that Bible prophecy given to man in the past and then fulfilled in absolute detail gives us the basis upon which we can know prophecy yet to be fulfilled will be fulfilled. Make sure to join with us again next week. We'll continue this series. We're going to take a break, and when Rick and I come back, we'll take a look at the book right here on Prophecy Today Weekend. I'm Ruth Kramer with Mission Network News. With strong backing from Iran, Hezbollah operates as both a Shiite Muslim political party and a militant group in Lebanon. Forecasts leading up to the May 15 election predicted Hezbollah's current grip on power would grow. Nuna of Triumphant Mercy Lebanon says people worried their country would become another Iran. But the votes are now counted, and Hezbollah lost its majority stronghold in parliament. Pray for a spirit of unity among Lebanon's newly elected leaders. And the UNHCR predicts that upwards of 8 million Ukrainian refugees will ultimately flee their country. World Missionary Press is getting urgent requests across Europe for scripture booklets in Ukrainian and Russian to give to refugees. Helen Williams with WMP says God is moving through his church, like the missionary couple in Moldova, who've opened their home to dozens of refugees as they travel through. Find your place in these stories at missionnews.org. Mission Network News is a service of One Way Ministries on this great. Have you ever wanted to know more about God's plan for the future? Have you ever tried to understand prophetic passages in God's Word, like, say, the book of Revelation, and been frustrated at not being able to figure it out? Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest CD series, Keys for Unlocking God's Plan for the Future, will help you gain the ability to understand where to start in your study of prophecy and allow you to read God's Word in a new and exciting way. Understanding God's prophetic Word will allow you to live a pure and productive life until Jesus returns for the church. Keys will help you gain the tools you need to understand the end-time events as foretold in God's Word. Dr. DeYoung lays out a systematic approach to Bible prophecy for those who want to know God's plan for the future. Tracks included are A Roadmap Through the End Times, The Jew in Jerusalem, Daniel and the Antichrist, Ezekiel and Messiah's Temple, and Revelation and Babylon. To order your copy of Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's Keys for Unlocking God's Plan for the Future, visit our website at prophecytoday.com. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy D. Young Jr. And along with Rick, we have been examining current events in the light of God's prophetic word. 
And Rick, uh, it was so neat in the Legacy Series to hear Dad's testimony. And I just got to give you this personal testimony about a gentleman uh, when I was up in New Hampshire that came to me and said, you know, all, th- all these years he had listened to the radio program. Uh, he had heard Dad interviewing the people, the some of the same men that we interview. And he said, you know, the Legacy Series helped me to really to hear your father teach because he never heard Dad teach in person. And uh, he really appreciated getting to to understand his passion for Bible prophecy. And it all started with uh, when he was 11 years old, Mr. Cribs, his Sunday school teacher, presented the fact that he needed to be saved and a born-again believer to believe in Jesus Christ as his personal Savior. Rick, I did that when I was, uh, well, first of all, I did it when I was young, but at the age of 15, I accepted Christ, uh, confirmed it in my heart, and started serving him, went to uh, Bible school, Bible college, Bible uh, seminary, uh, got my doctorate, and uh, we've been around the world. We've been to Israel so many times. So I think it's important. Our testimony, really, Bible prophecy is a testimony of Jesus Christ. Our testimony is what people see and hear more than our teaching sometimes, correct? That's right, Jimmy. And I talk about my testimony often. You know, I was a sinner on the road to hell. I was a terrible sinner. But then, Jimmy, at the age of five years old, at vacation <laughs> Bible school, uh, the Lord saved me. But t- seriously, that's a, a little bit of tongue in cheek. But seriously, I was a sinner um, and was doomed to uh, an eternity in hell. But uh, I did realize that I was blessed to be born into a family that had a Christian legacy and a great Christian heritage. And I learned that at a young age. Yes. Uh, you know, and as I taught the book of Joel, Joel, uh, when you look at all the prophets, they are all talking about repenting repenting for the day of the Lord is coming. Repent from your sin. The gracious thing about God, and when you look at uh, Old Testament history, it really talks about that grace period. Sometimes we talk about we're living in the age of grace, or in the, in the church age, in the church period. But grace really began in the Old Testament because God made a promise to the Jews. They disobeyed them. He called them to repentance. He told them he was going to judge them. And he told them when restoration would be. And we know restoration comes immediately when uh, we believe in the fact that when Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, there's no way to the Father except through me. We know that we have eternal life when the moment we believe that. And that was good to hear Dad's testimony today. Well, we've had a good program today, Rick. Our broadcast partners brought up some very important points. They sure did, Jimmy, and starting with Ken Timmerman. And it was very interesting. It's it's interesting to see how Turkey and Russia are coordinating right now. Uh, what they're doing right now is kind of echoing what's going to happen during uh, the end-time tribulation period. Oh, my goodness. You know, as we look at these things, we watch these events taking place, and you study, you understand Bible prophecy, you see the very nations that are talked about, they're moving into place. And we always talk about the... The props are on the stage, and that curtain is about ready to go up. And then, Jimmy, we go to Dave Dolan after that, and he was talking about uh, the Israeli-Palestinian situation. This is a situation that uh, started back with Jacob and Esau and continues on to this day. Sure does. And, uh, you know, we do have a, a DVD series, an audio series, and the series is called Esau and the Palestinians. And uh, we worked in Petra. We filmed there. Uh, We started uh, and we traced the lineage of uh, Esau to the Palestinians of today. 
But it's so true when you look at the Palestinians of today. We understand that this conflict is going to continue. Ezekiel chapter 35 talks about the judgment of the Edomites or Esau. And that is Esau is the descendants. Uh, the Edomites are the descendants of Esau as Esau left and separated from Jacob and moved his family, his people to uh, Mount Seir region of modern-day Jordan, which is where Petra is located today. That's where the Edomites originated from. They were kicked out of there and went to the Negev, where they became the Edomians. Well, we could trace through, and we do that. Uh, you could trace through from Esau to the Edomites to the Edomians um, through history, and uh, even within the book of Esther, Herod the Great all the way to the Palestinians of today, and God is going to judge those. That's a little book of Obadiah that talks about the judgment on the Edomites people, the descendants of Esau. They will be as if they never were. And You know, there are Palestinians that know the Lord as their personal Savior. They are followers. Uh, they're just like you and I. They, are, they have been uh, brought into the family of God. But by and large, the people today that are causing all the destruction and looking at things that are taking place and trying to take over the Temple Mount and the city of Jerusalem, yes, they will be judged for that. Just as the Babylonians, the people, the descendants of the Babylonian, the Babylonian city, the city of Babylon, Revelation 18, it will be judged and be wiped out as if it never were. Two people groups uh, in Scripture that will be wiped out according to how they touched the apple of God's eye, which was the Temple Mount or the Holy Mountain of God, 16 times referred to in Scripture. Rick, Dr. Don DeYoung has talked about the red blood moons. We see that in Bible prophecy, don't we? We sure do, Jimmy. And, you know, Bible prophecy is just an extension of what's going on in Scripture. It's God's plan, starting from uh, Genesis 1 and going all the way to Revelation 22. And in Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So all of creation will bow to God's authority, and all of creation works towards his plan created in eternity past and continuing to eternity future. <laughs> you, you took the words right out of my mouth, and that's what Dr. Don DeYoung says. Uh, all of this, every, all the phenomenon the, the, uh, of heaven, what's going to take place now, that was created by Jesus Christ in the future. God has a plan, and he's going to mark that plan, as Tom Meyer talked about it in the book of Revelation. Those He uh, talks about it in heaven. It's acted out on earth. And in the heavenlies, God is going to bring about these uh, phenomenon that's going to take place, and uh, it will be confirming that God, this is his creation. He's sovereign over all of creation, and he has a plan for the past for today and for the future, and that's why we study Bible prophecy. Rick, thanks so much for joining with me today. I look forward to being with you next week where we'll, uh, again, interview our broadcast partners examining current events in the light of God's prophetic word. And Rick, you know, as we say at the end of every program, <laughs> there's uh, nothing left for us to say as far as what's happening today, correct? That's right, Jimmy. Nothing left for us to say except let's keep looking up until... Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Jay Johnson inviting you to join us again next week for more of Prophecy Today.